Well, welcome everyone. I am so, so thrilled that uh, you're joining us today for Up Into The Right. And I am specifically honored to be able to have my friend and our guest speaker for the weekend, Mark Green. <laughs> And Mark, you did a great job. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I only do it once every great once in a while. I have no idea how you prepare content every single week. So I appreciate preaching so much more now after this last weekend. Well, thank you very much. But hey, I think popular opinion right now is that we're going to have to get you on the preaching rotation right here. <laughs> well, we'll see how that works. <laughs> and so I got to recover first. How about that? It's like talking to a pregnant woman about having more children. You don't want to talk to me about it right now. You so. got it. You got it. Yeah, no, I've seen a lot of you lately. Yeah. And so this is Monday following the Sunday and and um, good to have you. Matter of fact, your message so impacted people in Guthrie. We had five people baptized <laughs> that was not planned yeah, pastor yeah. Hetty gets up and says hey some of you need to give all pat mark talked about giving your all you give your all and uh five people got baptized well my grandma will be proud of me she was a preacher and always wanted preachers so maybe uh that'll in heaven she's rejoicing that five people got baptized yeah and we had six people baptized in oklahoma city our state yeah and beautiful so, beautiful yeah. yeah that's all in yes it is yeah it is so I want to, one, we just celebrate this weekend. That message was wonderful. It was a powerful message. And I appreciate you uh, just breaking down, you know, God's word and sharing to us uh, what it means when Jesus says, give. Yeah. And generosity. And it's not, you know, it, it, generous people are going to give. And I want to have a heart that is generous. And so Amen. Amen. thank you very much. You know, and I made a statement to you right at the end. Sometimes, um, really it's taking off your message going all in i'm so admire you and your family for being all in uh, because it actually when the stakes are higher <laughs> it's harder yeah. to go all in and early on i remember as a um, young man in ministry and going all in people would look back and say wow applaud you pastor rodney that's great <laughs> you know but it's harder now to be able to look at the ministry and uh, where we are and as a family and to be able to say, I'm still all in God. And I, and I appreciate that's, that's how you have lived your life and your family have lived your life. Yeah, and I think that's what I was trying to say about generosity too. People don't just get generous when they get wealthy. They're generous usually when they don't have much at all. Yes. It's the same thing about being all in. It's usually the, those habits you start because as you get further and further, Satan has more and more tricks he pulls on you. So if you don't have that foundation set, it gets tougher and tougher. God does miracles and he can do that, of course. But we see that usually if somebody's a generous spirit, they probably did it when they didn't have much, yeah. if they did it when they have a lot. So good. So it's good to have Mart here. And we're going to get into our section called Let's Talk. And we're going to hear just an amazing story, his life story, of how God has led him to where he is now. So let's go to Let's Talk. Mark, I'm so glad that you're joining us. And let's just, I, I would like for those listening, because we have an audience that listens, that joins in, uh, obviously North Church, but then an expanded audience. And let's hear a little bit about your story. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, where did all of this begin with the Green family? I'm sure you've got yeah. some good family stories <laughs> or history that's been shared to you that you want to pass on to everybody. Yeah, the history for me, I guess, would probably start with my grandmother and grandfather. As far as what I heard, I didn't know my great-grandparents ever. I did know my grandmother and grandfather, Green. That would be my dad's parents. And uh, we heard stories about them a lot growing up. And uh, they were, uh, she was a, Marie was a tent revivalist back in the 1940s. Marie Lark, her and her dad went out, pitched tents. And 
I don't know if people thought they were going to circus or they was going to a church service. I don't know. Back in the day, just a big tent and lots of lights. You know, yeah. you show up. Yeah. And one day, a young man walks in. His name was Walter. And Walter gave his heart to two people that night. He gave his heart to Jesus and he gave his heart to Marie and started courting her. And they became married and uh, pastored little Pentecostal churches, never more than 50, maybe 100 at the, you know, the, at the height. And, uh, but they had lots of children. You know, they had one children every year. I mean, if I didn't believe it at first, my dad, because I was late on life, he said, no, we had, she had a child every year for seven years. She lost one uh-huh. childbirth. I said, no, you can't have seven children in seven years. I mean, we had one every two years. We thought we were intense, yeah. you know? And I started thinking about their age. I thought, oh my gosh, yeah, they're all a year apart. And so uh, I thought that was her church growth strategy, you know, one, <laughs> one new member, you know? But it didn't help on the economic engine side. And so yeah. my dad was raised in poverty. They had three girls in the bedroom. The parents would be in the bed, in the in the living room and the three boys in the kitchen and stuff. And so... He was just raised that way with a lot of poverty and stuff, but a lot of happiness, a lot of joy, and a lot of generosity. You know, you're like, how does generosity come out of that story? But my grandma was a very generous person. Uh, she used to sew little doilies, and she'd sew these doilies, and my grandfather would say, now, Marie, why are you sewing that doily? She says, well, I want a missions offering. I, I gave him the mission offering for us. No, no, I want my own missions offering. And dad said if nobody bought her doily, she bought her own doily just so she would have a missions offering. And so... Yeah. She had a giving heart, and so that that was just part of what we heard and was about. And uh, now there's a lot of pressure in the family to be preachers, and when you're both your mom and dad are co-pastors, um, so they wanted six preachers uh, or missionaries, and that was kind of the ultimate. And uh, they got five, and uh, they got five preachers. Okay, so who was the one that did not end up being the preacher or missionary? <laughs> yeah, well, that was my dad, of course. Oh, know, my goodness. Know. Yeah, yeah, so he felt second class. Yeah. For the longest time, actually, because all his brothers and sisters were missionaries, married missionaries, preachers. I mean, exactly what it was. Kind of that's first class, and everything else just seemed to be second class. But my dad, that's just what he wasn't made for. Uh, my dad didn't do very well in school. Um, he uh, took distributive education, so he was actually working the little five and dime store back in the day when they had soda fountains and five and dime. Met my mother there. They got married as teenagers, mm. and off he went uh, in the retail business. Yeah. So who did he work for first? Um, uh, McClellan's was a, a place, okay. and then he got to TGNY. So pretty early on, what I remember okay. was a TGNY day. He was down in Lawton, Oklahoma, which is where I was born in 1961. And short order after that, TGNY, which is based in Oklahoma City, and it's the reason I live in Oklahoma City and have all my life, except for those first few months, uh, was because of t- TGNY, which was a kind of the Walmart of the day. But yeah. it was based right here in Oklahoma City. It had six, 700 stores in its prime. Yeah. So you, you got your dad who has felt this pressure to be – called into ministry but never felt that call himself he goes into the business world marries a young lady um he's obviously a follower of christ he's living for jesus he goes into now so tell us how did david green become david green the hobby lobby you know guy he is now that we know him as yeah well in 1970 i was nine years old my brother was seven and my dad was starting to get work-life balance off and so working he got two days a month off he got every other sunday now they didn't open till one so he was always able to go to church but as soon as church was over he had to leave and go to work two of the four sundays and that's just not what he wanted he wanted god family then work and it was getting kind of mixed up so in 1970 he went to the bankers and did as best he could put all the equity up he had i guess and the banker says all right you're worth 600 bucks and so he borrowed <laughs> 600 bucks with his partner he had a partner actually there was two of them and that's the most they could get was 600 bucks well you can't open a retail shop on 600 bucks no. so no even 1970 there's not that big of a difference no yeah, yeah. 
I think six hundred dollars would be about thirty six hundred dollars today when yeah. I when I looked it up. So thirty six hundred dollars. That's so, not much. But uh, so they bought a chopper which would cut wood for frames. So we started gluing little bitty mini frames, and so. Uh, the $450 for the chopper and then $150 for the wood. And uh, we actually had a blind man that cut them. So we did Braille and then me, <laughs> my brother, I got paid seven cents. My brother got paid seven cents and my mom worked for free. And my dad went back to work because he there wasn't any income yet. We messed up a lot of the wood in the beginning, but we made enough to get samples. And so we gave it to a salesman and we're going to pay him commission because we couldn't pay him. If you sell them, we pay. If you don't, we don't. And he did. And he went and sold like $1,500. Well, we don't have enough wood now for this $15 order. So now we're taking a purchase order back to the bankers. And a banker, would you loan us some more money based on this purchase order? And so it was just kind of hand to mouth, hand to mouth there yeah. in our home, gluing frames. And then after work, after school, my mom would pick us up and we'd go down to several palsy and they had different situations that they needed work. And we were able to provide work because they could glue frames and make it an income for themselves. So it's uh, that's the way it all started in 1970. <laughs> So 1970, you were how old? I was nine years old. Nine yep. years old. So here you got you got you and your sibling um, putting frames together. Nine and seven or eight seven, years old, yep, yep. and then a blind man. Yeah, what a way to start it. Most people don't think of Hobby Lobby <laughs> starting with a uh, you know a seven and nine year old and a blind man yeah. uh, putting frames together. And but that's a, that's an amazing start uh, story of what God God has done. Yeah, most most things are like that. They're, they're, they're what you call it, twenty year overnight success. Yes. <laughs> Usually, about twenty years in, people hear about you and they think, "Oh, it's just an overnight success." And you're like, "No, no, no! You weren't here twenty years ago when we were in the garage trying to get uh, the money for glue to get yes. frames and all that stuff, and just seeing my dad worry about, man, are we going to be able to pay our bills this next month and all that stuff?" So there was a lot, a lot of uh, stress that goes along with it. But God yeah. is also with us. Yeah, when you talk about the sudden overnight stories, <laughs> and it's the same way in the Bible. Again and again, it'll yeah. use a phrase, suddenly. Well, there's a whole lot more with the suddenly. <laughs> it's kind of, even on the day of Pentecost, it says, suddenly there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind that filled the place where they were sitting. They began to speak in other tongues. Well, there suddenly was 10 days <laughs> in the upper room praying. Yes. 10 yeah. days of praying uh, led to the suddenly. And it's the same way with a lot of things yeah. that when we are obedient to God, as your dad and your mom were over time, over time, and then... We look back, people look back at the Green family or the Hobby Lobby story as a success story that was just suddenly. Well, suddenly had a whole lot <laughs> yeah, before it. It did. And so, uh, so I saw the faithful, the hard work of my dad and faith, a lot of faith at different times and even generosity. Even at that point when we were small, my dad always paid ties both on his personal ties as well as on the business. And so that was always just a discipline that we saw that this was, yes, to provide for a family. That was the first goal to provide for our family and our employees, right? Yeah. We want to take care of those first. But at some point, when you make enough profits and you have some kind of profit down there, which finally you get to, whenever that is, we always wanted to give some of that money away. So I always saw that Hobby Lobby was more about, yes, it was providing income for us and our employees, but past that, what could we do for the kingdom of God? Yeah. And so that was in day one, back even when there was $600. And again, yes. we didn't have a lot at that point, but you knew that was the philosophy going in. Now, you went through some dark times in the 80s, I think, um, yeah. where you almost had to shut down. Is that right? Yeah, my dad called the families to meeting. I have a brother and a sister. He called us. I had either two or three small children at that point in the mid-80s. And just my dad says, you know what, guys, I don't know if we're going to make it. So it was just kind of a hard conversation for my dad because he knew that all the family was making its income from Hobby Lobby. Yeah. And so, wow, if we have to shut this down, it's going to affect me, him but also his son, two sons and his daughter and, and son-in-law. And so that's a heavy weight 
for dad to carry. And so I can't say that I even remember saying it, but my dad does because I've heard him quote it before he said to Martin. Then you said, God, dad, we're not dependent upon you. We're dependent upon God, you know? Yeah. So that kind of gave him that sense that because he kind of took it on himself. But we knew that we were depending on God. Yes, we looked to our father. He helped yeah. us, you know, we're nine years old. You get paid and you're just used to income. We got paid through Hobby Lobby all of our life. But uh, it was it was one of those times the oil was going bust and it just helped us to focus. We had gotten into uh, gourmet foods. We got into ceiling fans. We got into luggage. And just that wasn't who we were because the oil boom was going on. And all of a sudden we could sell all this stuff. We really had to get back to who we were. And, uh, and I think it was a time that my God gave it, the business back to God and says, you know what? I, I don't. I haven't done well with this. God, can you help me? And uh, and God has helped him, and he's been faithful to remember that lesson in, in the mid '80s. Mm. So you, God helped y'all get over that hump that time. But then in the '90s, things started going up and to the right. All of a sudden, it went from being okay, we got to manage this debt load and pay bills and stuff, to now you're prospering at a level that you've never prospered before. Yeah. And God begins to bless, and then now you're looking as a family of seeing this multiplied growth and income and then you're like okay now to me is the real story for hobby lobby of learning again to trust god you had to trust god at the beginning and commit it to him trust god in the 80s <laughs> now you're trusting god again by saying okay we're going to restructure this and make sure we give this family or give this business to god yeah and that's what you did we did. We structured that way because we kept thinking, well, we own it. And, and my dad had to start thinking, what if I die and my mom died tomorrow? The estate taxes would be quite high for us and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So there's insurance you can buy. You can do generation skipping, all these different deals. And at some point, we finally said, talked to some people and said, well, now you seem to be a generous family. And so if you, if you really see yourself as a steward of this business and not an owner, if that's what you really see, mm -hmm. there's some things you can do. You know, and so that's what we were able to do. So basically, I mean, it gets complicated with all the taxes and all that kind of stuff, but we've given 99% of the stock away. You know, it's got no voting power. So 1% of the stock controls the 99. Nobody's going to want that 99 because you have no control in it. Yeah. But if it ever sells, if Hobby Lobby ever sells someday, the generation somewhere down the road, nobody plans on selling it now. We enjoyed building the business and all that. But if they were to sell it, 90% of it would go, to, would go to ministry. And so it's, our kids know and understand and the family understands whatever your job is. If you want to work at Hobby Lobby, and some of my kids do, some don't, um, they get whatever they're paid. And so yeah. the janitor gets paid a certain salary. The CEO gets paid a certain salary. So that's, you can have the apples off the tree, but the tree's not yours. The branches aren't yours. That all belongs to God and we're going to steward it well. So your job is to steward this huge orchard. It used to be one tree in that orchard. Now there's over 950, if you count every store as a tree, 950 trees. And so there's lots of fruit on there. So whatever you work for, but there's no free fruit coming to you. So so you, the business is set up like, like a church, like a nonprofit in that family can work there, but we can't just sell this thing off and just you know, buy an island somewhere in the Caribbean and live yeah. happily ever after. <laughs> it, this, is, this is God's thing. And yeah. I think that's the whole purpose. Yeah, and I God's. yeah, I think it's on the, on, the, on the side too. I think God made us to work. I don't think God made us to go sit on an island and do those kind of things Absolutely. and stuff like that. So there's the joy of working. God made us to work in the beginning. Work was here before the fall. Yes. The fall just messed it all up and made it super hard, you know? And I think when God comes back, there's gonna be some new work, some new jobs, some new inventions are gonna happen when God comes back because he's coming down to earth again. And so I cannot wait for Jesus to come back on that white horse and we get to do this without all the friction that's going on right now. <laughs> and Mark, you talked about that on Sunday in <laughs> yeah. regards to the rewards. You know, we've got, it, it's ultimately about the eternal rewards. We know that God takes care of us here yeah. and there's rewards for serving God in the here and now, but it is ultimately about the then and there. Amen. It is ultimately about the, 
new earth. And I, I think people miss out on that. We, we think of just going to heaven as this, and you mentioned it, we go float on you know, a cloud <laughs> somewhere, but that is not what heaven, we do understand that Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So there is that place, but ultimately he's coming to set up his kingdom with a new heaven and a new earth. Mm -hmm. And that this earth, one day he is going to rule and reign. Everything is going to be made new, restored back to the garden stage. And so that we'll Ooh. be able to rule and reign with him forever. <laughs> yeah. And that's exciting because I know my God's an amazing God. I just had a grandchild born again. I'm looking at those little bitty fingers, that eyeball and all that stuff. And he's got a new creation coming for us. Oh my, I can't, it's going to blow our brains. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so I think it's all of that. And so let's be ready. And I do believe there's rewards. I believe, I believe in the prosperity gospel. It's just not here and now. It's what you said. It's there and then. Yeah. He taught promises a hundred times return. Not necessarily in this lifetime because sometimes God does bless us. Sometimes he doesn't. My grandmother was very poor. She died poor. She is not poor now. I yeah. know that she got an incredible return. Because again, as I like to say, it's not the size of sacrifice, size of the gift, it's the size of the sacrifice. And she made more sacrifice than we have. We've got given her dollar-wise by a lot. But sacrifice-wise, we've always given her excess. She gave the last dress she had. And that, mm. that was not what we yeah, did. Yeah, you, you talked about yesterday, <laughs> the over the weekend, you don't believe in a prosperity gospel, you believe in a plentiful gospel. Yes is that talk a little bit about that that you've already unpacked it a little bit but yeah, yeah a little bit more yeah some people talk about prosperity gospel and on this side of earth i don't believe in the prosperity gospel then i hear people about the poverty gospel oh it's god made us to be poor and all that stuff ah, i don't think that's necessarily true but i believe it's a plentiful gospel yeah. i believe it's like a funnel i like to use a funnel as my visual if you'll let it go through you god will keep putting it in there and so he knows who's going to let it go through and who's going to get kind of stagnated if you stagnate and you try to hold on to it it's going to stink it's going to rot it's going to rust so you might as well give it away and then allow give God to give you more to you. And so it's risky, but Satan has tricked us. I mean, big time. He's tricked us and said, no, no, keep taking in, brew more. And I'm saying, oh man, if you just knew how much blessing there is, would you just let it flow through you and let God do more for you because he's the God who owns it all. Yeah. And so he will pour more through you, especially if he knows it's gonna go through you and not get stuck. Love that, love <laughs> that. And I think one of the reasons why we don't give is because of a scarcity mindset. Yeah. We, we, we just believe that there is, it's, you know, there's no more. And we own a, we serve a guy who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah. And I tell you, the best way to break greed is to give. You want to break greed? Yep. Give. Yep. Absolutely. Give. Absolutely. And as you begin to give, and sometimes that breaking that greed might not be easy because you're like giving with a clenched fist. But once you give or you, however you give it through a credit card or through writing a check or through cash or however, but each time you're breaking the grip of greed to the point that you come up with your hands wide open, like you said. Yeah. On that fry story was so good. <laughs> the fries, and if you didn't see that, uh, come on, you, you, you need to go and watch that yeah, fry yeah, story. Yeah, you gotta watch that, I can't redo yeah. that. So <laughs> I have my French fries with me, but yeah. And I, and I think Satan only has three tricks. He tells us in 2 John 2 and 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Yeah. And so the lust of the eyes would be possessions. And there's nothing wrong with possessions. There's nothing wrong with having a car, a home, nothing. Possessions are totally neutral. Yeah. Satan is a liar. He takes possessions, and that's where you want the lust of the eyes. Oh, I have to have that. I got to have those new shoes. I got to have this. I got to have that. When you can't afford it. Yeah. So I think, what's the antidote to that? And you just mentioned it. it's generosity. You show me a generous person, and they do not have problems with the lust of the flesh. My grandma had the opposite problem. We, my grandfather kept saying, well, no, you got two dresses. You just gave that last one away, you know? And so he's trying to get her to keep a few more things, you know what I'm saying, for her own safety and stuff like that. But God provided. And so if you want to take away one of Satan's three tricks, be a generous person. Wow. Wow. This is so good. And Mark, thank you so very much. 
for joining us today. And let me just tell you that I hope that you go and listen to his message over the weekend. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page. You can go to our website and watch it. I think it will inspire you and I hope that you share it with others. But I hope that you will also join us again next week or in two weeks uh, for Mark. He's going to be on again uh, for our another episode. And join us again for Up and to the Right and share it with somebody. Have a great day.